Thanks, guys. Um, give it up again for these guys. We're so grateful for these students who serve this way. You know, they just they rehearse, they prepare, and, and they're great. Um, this morning, we're going to continue our honest worship series where we got the Psalms. And Dave started this a couple of weeks ago. And the idea is to kind of look at these in the context of what they are, which is a worship to God. And so last week, you know, Dave played Hey Jude and kind of talked about the way that song takes on kind of new meaning once you understand um, the meaning behind it, once you understand the story behind it. And so that's kind of what we're doing in this series. And so this morning, uh, Miss Rebecca Cagle, who's one of our high school moms, give it up for Miss Rebecca Cagle. Um, uh, Philip is one of her kids, and Luke, and she has a couple of sons here in our youth group, and she's going to continue this series for us. And so we're grateful to have her here this morning, and I'm going to pass on the mic to you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Um, I, I want to give you guys a couple announcements that I haven't heard anybody else say, but those of you that are on Facebook may notice that Mrs. Ron Slaven became a grandmother on Saturday. Uh, so Aisley had her baby. They're both doing really good. She was eight and a half pounds, 19 ounces, so really nice big. Uh, the other one was that the Ruse, our grandparents, uh, Celestine had her baby six weeks early. So uh, Aiden is having to stay in the hospital for a little bit longer. So if you think about it, be praying for them. He was 5'1", so little bitty guy, little bitty guy. But as far as I can, I, I have understood they're doing well. So anyway, just a little bit extra information there for you. Um, I, I am Rebecca Hagel, as they said. Uh, mom to Philip, who's a freshman, and Luke, who is a senior. Um, both of them attend Academy High School. Um, I, my best friend is uh, Kevin Cagle, and some of them, sometimes you may see him in the kitchen helping with the coffee and donuts and two of his favorite foods. And then I'm also a teacher at Providence Preparatory School. I teach fifth and sixth grade. <laughs> yes. Um, street lamps, ramps, ramps, whatever. Uh, yeah. So anyway, the lamp post, yes. Anyway. Okay, so Dave asked me to teach, and I was very honored when he asked me, and then he gave me Psalm 12, and I actually texted him back and said, are you sure about this one? Because it's a lament. This is not your happy, super high praise of God, get you into really big worship, woohoo. You don't hear praise songs made of this one. And I thought, are you sure? And he said, no, this is the one I really want. Okay, so as I continued to read through and study it, I thought, you know, this, this passage really fits well with where we are today. And isn't that just like scripture? You know, it applies to back then, and it applies to today too. So um, that was really cool. So I hope that you guys will get the same uh, things out of it that I did. So basically, here's the plan. We're going to read through it. Then I'm going to give you the points that I learned, what God spoke to me about, and then hopefully give you guys some time to talk in your tables uh, with some of the application questions. And I'll throw in a few applications along the way. So this particular psalm is called The Faithful Have Vanished. And it only has eight verses. And it, like I said, it is a lament. So a lament is about a troubling difficulty, something that's, that's a problem. And it, they take the situation and they lay it before God. There can be community laments. There can be where it's something, a troubling situation affecting the whole Israelite community. Or it can be an individual lament where it's affecting one person or it's a small group of people. So a lament can pass through different ways there. 
Lamenting is an honest form of worship. It is not whining. And I want to make sure that you understand that. It is not the whi- it's not the same as whining. Lamenting, again, is taking a difficult situation that you have and deferring it back to God, saying, this is bad, but you, God, are here. Whereas whining is complaining, it is self-focused, self-centered, woe is me, and it never goes back to God. It always stays self-focused. Big difference there between lamenting and whining. So let's read um, in Psalm 12. Let's look at that together. We have it. Nope. Do we not have it up there? It's okay. They do. Yay. Good. All right. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. For the faithful have vanished from among the children of men. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us, who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side, the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of men. So as you can kind of hear here in David's writing, because David is the one who wrote this, you can kind of hear in his voice a sense of hopelessness, a, oh my, what am I going to do now? Almost a wringing of his hands as as he's he's hollering out. And in verse 1, he says, save, just simply, help, help me, O Lord. For the godly one, all those people who are supposed to be Christians, they're gone. They've deserted, they've gone AWOL, they have vanished, and this isn't the rapture that they've gone. They're gone. They've gone into thin air. They have vanished from among the children of men. And so here again, like I said, you can hear David's sense of hopelessness. And he's saying, in a sense, there's no one left, it's just me. There's no one left but me. And I can also find myself frustrated, feeling a little hopeless at times with things that are going on maybe in my own personal life, maybe in things that are going on in my community. Things can make me go, oh my gosh, God, save me. Save, help, get me out of this. So here's what I want you guys to do. I want you, with number one on your, uh, on your questions there, I want you... at at your tables to discuss what are some things that affect you personally or you as youth that might cause you to feel hopeless in situations that make you want to cry out and say, save me, oh God. And then I'll have you holler out some of those in just a sec. So I'll give you just a couple of seconds to do that.
Okay, let me hear some. Looking at the world, just looking at the world in general. What else? Grades in your GPA. Yeah, that would be a good one. What else? What else are things personally or just even as youth in general or even cultural? It's hard to see if anybody's got their hand up. Just hold. What? The government. Yes. That'll do it. That'll make anybody sweat. What else? Man, I should come hang out with y'all more often. Y'all are cool as cucumbers here. Nothing's bothering you. Uh. Okay, is anybody concerned with, like, all the stuff that's going on with Planned Parenthood? Does that kind of freak you out a little bit? Oh, my gosh, this is disgusting. This is awful. How, how about legalized gay marriages? Anybody disturbed, bothered by that kind of stuff? Yeah, I hope so. Um, uh, how about even globally, ISIS? Terrorism? Does that make you... Maybe? Um, how about classmates getting involved with drugs? Cheating? Anything like that bother you? Make you feel hopeless at times because all of these things are going on? You might look at these things and go, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one in my family that... Fill in the blank. I'm the only one in the locker room that... I'm the only one in the school. I'm the only one... And you can hear David is the same way. There's no one left. It's just me. Daniel kind of has this same scenario uh, kind of going on in, in Daniel chapter 8. And Daniel had just had a vision of a goat and a ram. And, you know, you think a goat and a ram... You know, no big deal. Except he had it interpreted. And the interpretation was devastating to him. In fact, it was so much so that it kind of left him in a paralyzed feeling. Look at Daniel 8, verse 27. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and didn't understand it. Now what he saw, what he understood, made him sick made him sick for days. Not just for like, oh man, that's bad. But it made him sick for days. I'm, I'm imagining how you kind of feel when you've got maybe the flu, you just are wiped out, all energy is gone. He's out. But the interesting part comes at the end of the verse where he says, and I got up and I went about the king's business. He rose up, and he went on with his day for the work that he was called to, to what he was to do. And you have to remember, where did he work? He worked in the court of the Babylonian Empire. He, he wasn't just a clerk at the local supermarket where it's isolated from culture. He chose not to isolate himself from the culture. He chose not to step away from society and close up like a hermit. But he got up and went about the king's business. In the next verse, in verse 2, David gives us a very good glimpse of the people around him. He says, everyone utters lies. Lies to his neighbor. Words have become cheap. 
so cheap that it doesn't matter who you're lying to, you're going to lie to your neighbor. And that's really dumb because your neighbor's the person right next to you that can see the very thing that you're doing is a lie. I mean, you can look out the window, the kitchen window, and see, uh, yeah, that didn't pan out. It's, it's not true. This is not true what the, what the neighbor is saying. And it's, it reminded me of um, a preschooler that has been accused of eating a chocolate chip cookie, and they say, uh-uh, did not, and they've got chocolate smeared all over their face. You know, it's a lie, and you're caught in it. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor, and with flattering lips and double heart they speak. These people are insincere. What they say to you, they don't care about. What they say to others, they don't care. They just want to get their way. They're manipulative with their words. Kind of makes me think of politicians, you know. We're kind of getting into the heat of pol politics right now, and, oh, we get to hear the commercials, and do you really mean to do that? Really? Or are you just saying that? They're hypocrites. They speak double talk. I once heard a man say that um, there's nothing inside of a drunk that doesn't come out that wasn't already there. In fact, the alcohol just loosens up the lips and makes it a little easier to come out. I think the same thing is with lying, with liars and hypocrites. Those lies and those, that hypocrisy was already there. It just comes out. What's down in the well is going to come up with a bucket. Jesus said it even better. From the overflow of the mouth... The heart speaks. So we can kind of give ourselves this little litmus test and ask ourselves, what's down in my well? What is my heart filled with? And then even ask, why is my heart filled with those things? Why? You can go back to the first week that we started when Dave talked in Psalm 1. Who are you walking with? Who am I standing with? Who am I sitting with? Who is influencing me? physically with me, or is it somebody in culture that's affecting me, that's influencing me? And then why is it filling me that way? We need to be so, so careful with our words. I think we've all been hurt by words, and we need to be careful as believers with our words because they reveal what we're made of. They reveal who we are. How you speak to your neighbor who is not just the person next door, but it's your parents, it's your brother or sister, it's your classmates, it's the teacher, it's whoever you come in contact. Whoever that is, is how, you're going to reveal a lot about yourself by how you speak. So we've got to guard ourselves against lying and speaking hypocrisy. And it doesn't mean that we speak truth just because it needs to be said. Because that is the ugliest shirt you have ever seen, does not mean you need to say that. Okay, we speak with gentleness and respect. We tell people truth when it is appropriate to be said. Everyone else may be liars, but we should not be. Some of you may be thinking, you know, I have been around enough Christians um, to know that there's a lot of hypocritical Christians. In fact, we often hear that within the church. The church is filled with nothing but hypocrites, liars, and I want you to not, well, let me say this. Yes, Christians do lie. Yes, pastors lie. Yes. But I don't want you to give up on Jesus Christ 
because of what other people have done, because they have brought a stench upon the gospel, don't give up on Jesus because he's not the one that's defective. We are the ones that are defective. David goes on to say, uh, talking about those that make great boasts, he said uh, in verse 4, With our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? In other other words, who's going to do anything about what we say? Nobody's going to stop us. So now they're taking their words and they're using it as an instrument, as a tool against people to turn people into their own game. And it's all about them. It's all about their power. It's all what they can get for themselves. And the psalmist here is very concerned about God's honor because he says, he asks that the Lord would cut off their lips. And now, he doesn't literally mean he wants God to cut off their lips and so that we have these lipless people walking around, which is kind of gross. But he does want God to do away with them. Do away with these people because they are maligning your name, because they are claiming to be Christians, because there is no one left. Please, God, fix this. Now, we've looked, David gave us a glimpse of these people. They're liars, they're boastful, they're hypocrites. And now let's contrast that. David now brings us into a contrast with um, God's words. And in verses 5 and 6, and he says, Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will arise, I will place him in the safety for which he longs. Here we have this nice little snippet, a very small glimpse of salvation by grace. Everyone else, all those others, those liars, they're hypocrites, all those are looking out for their own gain. They're looking out for themselves. They don't care about anybody else. Whereas God here is looking out also for others. He's not looking only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Because he cares about other people. He saves people not because of what they can do for him, but because he loves. Because he simply loves. Poor and needy lives do matter. In verse 6, we can see a further contrast with the words of the liars, the hypocrites. The words of the Lord are pure words. They're not lies. Like how pure are those words? They are as pure as silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. And again, in in Scripture, in the Bible, seven means a perfect number. So the silver is refined perfectly. So pure, you can see a wonderful reflection, like glass, um, through, the, through the, the melted silver. There's nothing dirty. There's nothing trashy. There's nothing cheap with God's words. In Numbers 23, 19, it says, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? I want you to know that God's words are true. They are truth. They're not just true, but they are truth. They're from what everything else in life can be weighed and measured by. God's words are truth. And he will do what he says. David closes this up in a, I thought, in a rather interesting way. 
So he starts off with, save, help me. Here's these bad people. God, your words are pure. Your words are right. But then, in verse 7, he says, You, O Lord, will keep them. You will keep the poor and the needy. You will hold on to them. You will guard us from this generation, these children of men that have no regards for who you are. You will guard us. And you kind of think, that's a great place to stop. It's a really perfect place to stop. But he doesn't. He does something I thought was very interesting. He says, On every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of men. There we finish. So he's, it, it's like he's saying, Okay, God, you're going to guard us, you're going to keep us, you're going to protect us. But did you see how bad it really is here? It is so bad that the wicked are prowling around like lions, looking to devour us. Sounds like Satan, right? Vileness is being exalted among the people. Makes me think of Miley Cyrus at concerts. Or ESPN giving courageous awards for people that want to be called a woman just because they want to be a woman and they're really a man. That's vileness. And it's being exalted. So if we step back and we look at this, we can see David saying, Look, God, it's bad, but you are here. It's awful down here, but yet I know that you're here. You are sovereign. So when I read about Daniel's response, when he got up and went about the king's business, and then I read in Psalm 12, I came to the same kind of conclusion of, this world is awful. It is filled with some really awful people. But you, God, are here. You are here. So what? We've read Psalm 12. So what? What are you going to do with it now? What does this have to do with you? Two things that I came away with when I read this. The first one is that in this sense of hopelessness, I found hope. In the midst of all this vileness going on around me, in the midst of all the wickedness prowling around me, in the midst of all these liars and hypocrites that I sometimes find myself in the midst of and I feel alone, there was hope. And David gave me that hope. I was reminded of Jesus praying for his apostles. Um, As I was reading about this, another pastor had preached on this particular passage, and he tied it into when Jesus was praying for his apostles. And I thought this was just a beautiful combination of the two. It really made me smile when I I read it. So John chapter 17, starting in verse 9, And it says, I am praying for them. Jesus is praying for the apostles. I am not praying for the world, but for those who you have given me, for they are yours. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except for the son of destruction. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. And that would be us. 
David saw all the vileness going on around him, the lies, etc. And he saw that God was there and that God was going to protect him, but that God didn't necessarily pull him out, but he placed him. He was asking, place me in your safety. But God still guarded. And that's exactly what Jesus prayed for us as well. To keep and to guard, to protect, but to leave us in this world, even though it's awful, but to leave us protected and guarded. For who can separate us from the love of God? Who can separate us? Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor liars, nor hypocrites. Nothing that happens today, nothing that happens tomorrow can separate us from God. None of those things can. And so from reading this psalm, we can be reminded that God has us in the midst of all that is going on around us. He has us. And I hope that gives you hope like it did to me. We can also be very comforted by this lament. So um, this not only is just, well, all of Psalms, it was a songbook that they sang for years, for generations in the Israelite society. That means who else sang this song? Jesus sang this. This was Jesus' songbook. The book of Psalms was a book that they sang when they met together on the Sabbath. He sang this song. Now just think about that with me for just a second, and it really kind of hit me pretty good. If Jesus sang this, what was he thinking when he read about everyone is gone, everyone is a liar? What was he feeling when he sang this particular song? You talk about the ultimate person who understood what it was like to be the only one left. He was the only one righteous as he's looking around at everybody around him. He not only could see and hear their lips, he could look into people's hearts. I can at least hide some things from other people, but not to Jesus. He could see beyond that. He was the only one left. He was the only one left. And you can imagine how dark that may have felt to be in that position. So if anybody had any reason to want to leave, to bail out, that would be Jesus. But he didn't, thankfully. Instead, he stayed. He, like Daniel, like David, but in a more perfect way, stayed in the muck and the mire and worked and did the work that his father had called him to do. So we can be comforted because Jesus understands what we're going through. And you and I, and this is so important, you and I have all been called to a purpose. Please do not think because you're a high schooler, you don't have a purpose. You do. Each and every one of you do. If you didn't, you wouldn't be here. You would not be in existence. You have a purpose in the midst of all the yuck. You have been called to this city. 
You have been called to this time in history. You have been called to this school. You've been called to your neighborhood, to your family. You have been called and you have a purpose. And I want you to get that and run with it. Yes, it's awful. Yes, it is vile. There's wicked beyond wicked. But God is here. And he's guarding, he's protecting, and we have work to do. Will you pray with me? And then I'll let you guys uh, finish out with discussions. Praise you, God, because you are here, because you care, because you love us. How I thank you that you do guard and protect us from the evil one that does desire to devour us like a lion. Protect and guard us this week as we go about the work that you have prepared in advance from the foundation of the world to do as we start it today, as we do it tomorrow. Help us to realize that we have a purpose, even if it is just sitting in class, even if it is just studying. It's not just. It is your purpose. Help us to have hope because you understand. You understand above all things. Help us to be careful with the things that we say and to guard the words and to guard our hearts. It's your precious and holy name that I pray, Father. Amen. You guys can go ahead and talk in your groups. Thank you.